You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast, and here is today's message. Father God, I just want to thank you for your heart. I want to thank you, Lord, that that you are at work constantly in our lives. That we can look at, at your spirit in every context of our lives, God, and that we know that you are working, you are there, and you're continuously moving us from glory to glory, from perfection to perfection. And so, God, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for speaking to us. Let your spirit fall on us. God, I pray that even now, as the people are listening in their homes, or at the church, God, I pray that your spirit just falls right now. I pray that just people are healed instantly right now in Jesus' name. I pray that your blessings just continually move through us. God, I pray that you quicken our hearts to hear your voice and to do what you want us, what you want. In Jesus' name. So Surprise, um, I have the opportunity to be able to to speak with you guys from Toronto today. Um, and I just wanted to talk about uh, worship and what worshiping God really is. We hear uh, on a bunch of different people will be like, worship isn't just a Sunday morning occurrence or worship isn't just while we're, while we're singing songs to God. And... It, it starts to look at, well, what is worship then? If worship is this mindset that we need to be in continuously, what is worship? Um, and I'm going to take kind of a, an orthodox approach to this because uh, I believe that what God wants to do is um, a little different. Uh, so I have a lot of verses here. So uh, we're just going to start in Revelations 1 verse 6. Uh, It says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and father to him be the glory dominion forever and ever. Amen. Uh, I just want to print out, first of all, that we are all kings and priests. That's who we are. We don't have a, a, a division that says these people are the ones devoted to God and these people are the ones that are, that are in the marketplace or that are farmers or whatever. No, we are one people. We are one people devoted to God. We are all kings and priests and that was, that's what God has created us to be. Now, when you look at a priest, even in old times, uh, the priest's job is to know God. In whatever context, whatever God they're serving, their job is to know God and say, this is how we worship him. This is what worship to God looks like. And and every God had a different way of worshiping him. If you look throughout uh, throughout the, the gods of the Old Testament, they all had things that were attached to them, whether it was sexual idolatry, whether it was child sacrifice, whether it was, they all had something that was in worship to that God. 
And one of the things that that I find today is that a lot of us don't know how to worship God. We don't even know if we were to say, hey, what's worship? We would be like, it's a slow song during the set, during the word, during the music set. Or we would be like, well, then how do we worship? Well, we just focus on God. And I, I just want to, those may be parts of worship, but they're very incomplete in the idea of what worship is. And so we're going to go through the Bible and we're going to go look at some of the Old Testaments and what they thought worship was. And then we're going to go into what, um, what worship is, right? Um, because worship is specific. And you know, we'll just go into it here. In Hosea 4, 6, it says at the beginning of the verse, it says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And because you've rejected knowledge, I also reject you from being a priest for me. So with this verse, we can look at it and say, hey, if I don't know who God is, if I don't know about God, if I don't know God, I cannot be a priest. Because if we reject knowledge, he has to reject us as being a priest from him. Amos 5 verses 21 to 24, it says, I hate I despise your feast days. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. So in the Old Testament, they used sacrifices as a, as a means of worship. They would take up bulls and sheep. You look at all over the Old Testament, people are, are sacrificing bulls and sheep and goats and stuff like that in worship to God. But when you look, it says, it actually says some of the things that we like to hold as this is worship. We, it, it takes those things and it kind of removes them in Amos here because it starts with saying, I do not savor your sacred assemblies, though your burnt offerings, though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings. I will not accept them. So first of all, coming to church is not worship. It is not include. It's not the entirety of worship. Okay. It says, and then in verse twenty-three, it says, "Take away the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments." So even music, we call that worship, and it is to a degree, but it does not encompass worship. And then it continues to go, it says, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. So according to this verse, worship looks like justice and righteousness. It literally, literally looks like saying, hey, God, this is what you want. This is, these are your precepts. These are your ways. And I'm going to walk in them because this is what's right and just. And that's worship. In uh, Hosea 6.6, 6, it says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Here again, we see, we see this again, that, that the acceptable worship of the day, which was burnt offerings, is not actually what God wants. He says, For he desires mercy and not sacrifice. So we look at this, and it's like, okay, well, what does God want? I mean, even in, in another verse here, I'm just going to throw another one. Isaiah 66, verse 3, it says, But whosoever, whoso, but whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a person. 
which is against the Ten Commandments, and whoever offers a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. Moreover, makes grain offering as one who presents a pig's blood, which is uh, terrible. Um, whoever burns a memorial incense is like one who worships an idol, because they have chosen their own ways, and they delight in their abominations. So, from what, looking at these verses, what we're seeing is that God has a way, and we have a way. And sometimes we like to look at, at, at these, these ways of ours and say, oh man, this makes me feel really good. I just, oh, it just, the presence of God was just so strong when I did that. But it's actually not what God asked us to do. Yes, God loves us, and God's presence is actually all around us. But what worship looks like is knowing God and becoming and, and doing what God likes. Um, I was reading a book, and uh, it was called The Reset by Jeremy, uh, uh, Jeremy Riddle. And he talks about worship as, a, as basically knowing God. And his, he quotes, it says, it can't be worship if God doesn't like it. <laughs> so if God doesn't like what you're doing, it's not worship. So I can sing the most amazing songs. I could sing uh, the songs that Jordan and Charity have written or, or the songs from Bethel or Elevation Worship or Hill Songs or, or Upper Room or whatever. I could sing these songs. But because my heart isn't right with God and because I have no interest in knowing God, it's not actually worship. Because God wants justice. He wants righteousness. He wants mercy. This is what God wants. And yes, he absolutely loves your singing. He absolutely loves it when you sing to God. But he loves you, but he wants your heart, not just your words. There was a, a there was a, um, a, a quote, and I can't remember who quoted it. I wish I could. Um, but it says, Christians, we don't tell lies, we sing them. We sing songs like, I surrender all, yet we hold that thing in our heart that says, God, you can have everything but this. We sing songs that say, even when it hurts like hell, I'll praise you. <laughs> um, and yet, when things hurt, we get mad at God and walk away. We say, God, I want your ways. I want what you want. But when it differs from what we want, we go the opposite direction. When, when, when culture says one thing and God says another, we're like, oh yeah, it's okay to sleep around. It's okay to, it's okay to, to give my word and then when I get what I want, say that we didn't sign a written contract. That isn't okay. Because this is stuff that God abhors. Jesus says, and I believe it was Matthew 5, it says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't always be looking for these contracts, for written contracts, but actually do what you said you're going to do and leave it at that. So even our acts of worship don't mean anything to God without actually knowing God and what he wants. Now, we see this all throughout the Bible, people who, who try, to, try to give God what he wants um, without actually... Do we, without actually the knowledge behind it. Um, and one example 
And I'm going to use David as an example here in 2 Samuel 6, verses 1 to 10. I'm going to read it to you. Um, but just so you kind of know the background of this story. So the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, the place where God dwells, is taken by the Philistines. And David really wants the Ark of the Covenant back in Jerusalem. He wants the presence of God. He said, how long do I have to wait for your presence? And so he goes and they, they take it back from the Philistines. And, and then that's where we pick it up in 2 Samuel 6. And it says, again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David rose and went with all the people who were with him from, from Bethlehem, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahil, sorry if I mispronounce those names, the sons of Abinadab drove the new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanied, accompanying the cart of God. And they went before the ark, and then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord, and all kinds of instruments on fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, and tambourines, and sistrums, and on symbols. And when they came to Nikon's threshing floor, Uzzah put his hand out to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the ox stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error. And he died there by the ark of God, and David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Now, this, this verse, what's, what's going on? If you look, David was doing everything that he thought was right. He was worshiping. He had this heart of worship. Even David is known as a man after God's own heart. And he's worshiping and, and he, he gets, he buys this brand new cart so that they could take the Ark of the Covenant and bring it into Jerusalem. But what David neglects to do is he neglects to actually get to know the proper way to treat the Ark of the Covenant, to treat the presence of God. And he doesn't fear the Lord in this instance. What he does is he, he tries to honor the Lord culture's way. And culture at that time says you buy new things and you, you, you surround it with an army and a parade and you bring it in under with joy and celebration and this is how you do this. But what David neglected to see is that when the Ark of the Covenant, when the instructions were given to Moses, the Ark of the Covenant, they were supposed to carry it. Four Levites were supposed to carry it on their shoulders. And that's how the Ark of the Covenant was to be transported. So David decided to go the culture's way instead of God's way. And, and Uzzah was struck dead because of it. Because he did not do know how to properly honor God and to do it God's way. So with all of this said now, how do we know God? Well, there's a couple different ways. 
The first one is reading your Bible. There is a first, this is my favorite Bible. I got this one, I've had this one for a long time um, and it has treated me really well. Um, it was actually from Pastor Glenn, but this Bible has Old Testament and New Testament into it. And now it is important that we read both the Old Testament and the New. We cannot just neglect the Old Testament saying, hey, we live under this new covenant. Because I see people doing this all the time. And this is the problem I have with it. So Paul said that we live under a better covenant than what they did in the Old Testament. Yet Moses was in the Old Testament. Samuel was in the Old Testament. Uh, Abraham was in the Old Testament. These people had these such vibrant relationships with God. Moses was known as the man who sees God face to face. The man who talks to God face to face as a man talks to his friend. That's what Moses' legacy was. I yet to know someone who is that close with God. And I just don't mean people that I know personally, but people that I know, like, I, and they might, that I just, and I just don't know because that's an intimate relationship with God. But this, the majority of Christians don't have that. And if we live under a better covenant and we don't have the best that the old covenant has to offer, then there's a disconnect between what we believe God is and what he is. And so in order to know who God is and what he truly is, we have to look at the Bible. And so when we look at the Old Testament, when we look at uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those are the five books of the law, we have to realize that Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it. Because God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when we look at the book of the law, we have to look at what God's doing. We have to look at when God says, I don't like this. Don't do this. We have to understand why does God not like that? What is it that God does not like about this? I want to understand God. I need to know. So we need to read the Old Testament so that we know God. In John 1.1, 1, 1, I know that a lot of people, um, I'm going to read John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Period. This is the Word. The spoken Word that God spoke to the prophets is recorded in here. What God spoke to Moses is recorded in here. One of the best ways to understand who God is, is to look at what he said. And in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 16, it says, remember what you were taught from your childhood, from the Holy Scrolls, which is the Old Testament, which can impart to you wisdom and experiencing and experience everlasting life through the faith of Jesus, the anointed one. Every scripture has been written by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. So we are to look at the Bible, according to Paul in this verse, that we are to look at it as being written by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. And so we want to know God. This is where we start. All right. To me, and that is the single most important place to start, because every other way that I tell you about knowing God is based on the Bible. And if what you're hearing, what you're hearing that God says, if it doesn't line up with the Bible, you're not hearing God. 
because it will always line up with the word of God, the scriptures. That's why when you look at actually, when you look at the Bible, it's 66 books written by, I believe it was 36 different authors over four continents, over I believe 1700 years. And there's not one contradiction. So when you look at this, there is evidence that says, yes, this is, this is from the Bible. Um, and so we have, to, we have to give it that level of precedence in our lives, that it is the word of God. And what the Bible says is true, period. I stand on that and I will live by that. That's why when, when I pray, I see people healed because I know that what the Bible says, when it says that by his strength we were healed, when the Bible says that he wants to see you healed, set free, whole, saved, delivered, that he wants to see complete healing in your spirit, soul, and body, that's what I stand on when I pray for people because the Bible is true and it says he wants you healed and so I will pray for you and see you healed. And you'll see actually sometimes even on the comments, of the um, of the live stream, you'll see Embassy Church pray for people. The Embassy Church um, banner, which is generally me, and I'm praying for people, and I will see them get healed. And when I ask for, lots of times I'll ask for a like uh, um, on the pain scale of one to ten, because we'll actually be able to watch and see the pain scale go down, um, and until they're pain free. Um, and so to me. I love that kind of stuff, but I stand on the word of God when I pray for them. Um, the next one, uh, the next way that we can get to know God is by hearing his voice. God didn't write the Bible and then stop talking. He didn't. That's just not the truth. What God does, did is he continues to speak to us today. Actually, if you even look in in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And the word was spoken by God. This is who God is. God hasn't stopped speaking since Genesis 1, 1, and he will never stop speaking. God was speaking before Genesis 1, 1, but this is how God this is what God does. God is continually speaking because he wants a relationship with us. And God doesn't want a one-way conversation. He wants two-way conversation. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. In Hebrews 1.1, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. So God doesn't just use one way to speak. He uses a bunch of different ways to speak. Um, and we have, um, in, in a couple months, we're going to be starting up a course about hearing God's voice. And I encourage you guys to come join us in this course because it will help you get to know God. Because we have a lot of people who can hear God's voice clearly in our church. And we have a lot of people who are learning. And this course is to help people learn how to hear God's voice. And so I encourage you guys to join that when, uh, when it comes up. That's my shameless plug for my Bible study on Tuesday nights. Um, and the next verse in John 10, 3, it says, And the sheep recognize the voice of the true shepherd, for he calls his own by name and leads them out, for they belong to him. So if you're like, hey, I, don't, I can't hear God's voice, uh, I'm going to call you out on that and be like, no, if you're a Christian, 
and you are and you're going after God, you can hear his voice. Now, there's a difference between I can't hear God's voice and I have a hard time recognizing his voice. There is a difference. And that is why you need to get around people who, who know God and, and hear God's voice so that you can bounce things off of. When, I am, when I'm not sure, when I hear something and I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if that's God or not, I will actually text my dad. I'll text Wayne um, and sometimes I'll text Megan uh, and a couple other friends. And I'm like, this is what I thought I heard. Is this God? And sometimes my friends are going to be like, no, no, that's not. And this is why. And sometimes they'll be like, no, no, that is God. And then I'll get to actually be able to uncover that mystery that I didn't know was God. And it shows a whole new side of who God is. Um, and the last one here is, uh, is to get away from distractions and to wait on God. Um, to get into silence and sit there and say, I want to know God. It's funny, in Hosea 2.14, it says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness, and speak comfort to her. So Israel, during this time when Hosea said this, they, he was, uh, they were in a, in a place of captivity where they had walked away from God. And, and, they had allowed, and they had become distracted by serving other gods and sexual immorality and all this stuff. And what God is saying here is, I'm going to take them away from all of that stuff that's distracting them. And I will bring her into a place of, of quiet and speak comfort to her. And he's talking about Israel. And that's what God wants to do for you. Um, yeah. I want to recommend a couple books. If this is really interesting, I want to give you a couple more resources that you can that you can uh, look at. I actually, I have given more copies of these books away than than I have ever, um, yeah, than I've given of any other book. I think, uh, except for maybe the Bible. Uh, but these are the resources. I've got three books here to read. The first one is "Experiencing the Depths of Jesus Christ" by Madame Goyon. Um, it's very simplistic and it walks you through how to study the Bible. Um, it walks you through how to wait on God. And it's just a very, it's a very good uh, knowledge base that you can learn, that you can use to learn from. Uh, the second one is The Practice of the Presence of God uh, by Brother Lawrence. Uh, it's funny, these are both uh, from people who are, grew up in, um, in either Catholic Catholicism or uh, Anglican. Um, I can't remember where Brother Lawrence was from, but he was a, a priest. Here, a quick story. He was a priest. He wanted to be a priest, and he was. He went in to study, but they they didn't think he was worthy to become a priest, and so they put him in the kitchen to cook. And Brother Lawrence, he decided that you know what, he's never going to be a priest. So he decided he was going to cook to the best of his ability, so that the people who were became priests would be able to spend their time looking at God. But what he found is that when he did his work, as if he was doing it to God, that God's presence would show up. And his, so he would continually focus on the presence of God in the kitchen. And it came, and later on, it would show that, that kings would come to the, the, the parish where he was at. And, and the priests would think that they came to talk to him, but they would ask for Brother Lawrence, the cook. And Brother Lawrence never became a priest. In, in, that, in those parishes. Yet kings came and sought him out for the wisdom that he carried because he would practice the presence of God.
And the third book that I want to give you, that I want to, to recommend, is the Bible. <laughs> because nothing can, um, nothing can really compare to the Bible when it comes to knowing God. This is our handbook for life. And I cannot, cannot express it enough. And so I just want to give you those three things. And the last thing I wanted to do before I, I let you go is I just want to speak a word over, over Embassy Church. Um, I feel like this is, I feel like in my prayer time that this is what God gave me uh, for the church here. So I'm just going to speak it out. It says, Embassy is a house that God trusts. Not simply the leadership, but the people. And you haven't done anything to prove anything. And you don't need to. God's love and trust is yours. And God is proud of how you've handled the hard times. And yes, there will be more hard times, but you are moving from one level of trust and love to the next. These consistent sins are now falling away and a purity of heart is being established. Holiness is being established. My words are becoming the words in your mouth and they will not return void. Soon you will find that there will be more people at embassy that can confidently discern God's voice than people who are unsure. You are a house that will not only know my voice and my heart, but also my ways. Embassy will grow in favor with man and with God as it continues to delight in me and go after my heart. It's about knowing God, not looking good. I don't care what you look like because when you know God, he will transfer, transform what you look like. And so when I, look, when I talk about worship, worship is knowing God. Worship is having his heart inside of you. And all of those things, uh, like singing songs and going to church and spending time in community, they're all good things. And yes, they're a form of worship. But God wants your devotion and your undivided heart. He wants purity of heart. That's what worship is. And so I just want to pray over you before we go. Father God, I just speak, pray over embassy right now. And I pray that your heart becomes their heart, that your words become their words. We just speak that right now, that, that your heart and your love just overwhelm them, that everything that they do, they first see in your presence. And so we just speak that and pray that. And I pray for encounters over this week. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Uh, have an amazing day. For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.